0: I don't really care what you call it. I don't really care if you call it burnout. I don't really care if you call it clinician distress. I don't care if you call it depression. I don't care if you call it moral injury. I I really don't. But, But the problem is because we have all these terms that are kind of thrown around, we have a lot of stigma underneath a lot of it all. And then clinicians just don't really seek out any sort of help.
1: everyone and welcome to our third episode on shrinking burnout.
0: For this episode it's just going to be us two. We're not going to have any guests and we're really going to discuss all about burnout, what it means, and some of the controversies behind it.
1: So it's May 17th, the weather outside is getting more and more beautiful and I have the constant urge to want to hang out, go outside, see friends, do all the fun things that summer has to offer. But of course, we're all stuck inside with the quarantine, and we can pretty unanimously agree that this is an incredibly stressful, isolating, and difficult period of time, regardless of whether or not you're in the medical field. Over the last couple of episodes, we heard from John and Sarah. We heard about their vastly different experiences, but the one thing that stood out to me from both of them was their degree of determination and passion to care for their patients, no matter how difficult things were getting. While we've heard about their experiences, Andy and I realize we've been throwing around a lot of terms, burnout, wellness, resilience, so on and so forth. But what do these words actually mean?
0: The problem with talking about burnout is that there really isn't a good consensus on what burnout is. We have a couple of researchers that have made some research definitions. Christina Maslach's research with the MBI definitely is one of the bigger ones. But there are also a lot of other researchers that have come up with other definitions. The harder part about it is that when it comes to talking about burnout colloquially, a lot of people say and throw around the words that they're burnt out at work. And it doesn't even have to apply to healthcare workers. Sometimes you have people that are teachers, blue-collar workers, all sorts of people that mention that they're burnt out. When they say that they're burnt out, that and how it lines up with what the research definition of burnout is doesn't really match up a lot of the times.
1: Just to further define what the MBI is, so the MBI is called the Maslach Burnout Inventory. And so basically, that's one way in which um, we're able to contextualize some of the common symptoms that we think of when we talk about burnout. So burnout is commonly defined as a work-associated syndrome rather than a, a disease. It's something characterized by emotional exhaustion depersonalization and cynicism, and perceptions of personal accomplishment. So we usually think of burnout as being primarily driven by a demanding work environment.
0: Even before burnout existed as a term, people who were working in healthier settings were still feeling tired. They're still feeling disengaged with their work. And maybe a broader way of describing it is something that's called clinician distress. When we talk about clinician distress, it's definitely not just with burnout, and sometimes there's some other non-work-related phenomena that can contribute to people feeling a little bit distressed at work.
1: So the one big thing here is that burnout has slowly become this catch-all term. That's not necessarily what we're really trying to talk about here. And so what we were trying to say earlier about the lack of consensus of what burnout actually is... The whole reason why there is a lack of consensus is because sometimes burnout can be confused with the symptoms of depression or some other type of major mood disorder, psychiatric disorder. One of the big things with burnout is this perceived lack of control and powerlessness, but we also can see that quite often in depression. So what exactly is the difference between the two?
0: A key thing about distinguishing between depression and burnout, is that when we think about depression, depression not only affects people at work, it affects people outside of work. So the downside of when you say somebody is burnt out at work, then you might be missing out on some people who might have some underlying depressive symptoms that just aren't willing or aren't getting the treatment that they need. This was reflected in an article that was written by Maria Oquendo, a psychiatrist in JAMA. She basically wrote that, when we use the term burnout a little bit too liberally, we may end up actually stigmatizing physicians or clinicians who have underlying mental health conditions so that they don't actually get the treatment they need.
1: And so, th- what Andy said is really important. It becomes much less stigmatized to call your own emotional distress burnout than it is to say that you are feeling depressed. But there are inherent issues with that. It may delay seeking help for a more serious psychiatric illness. I think the big challenge here and the takeaway is that there's a whole lot of similarities between both. Often when we think of depression, a lot of times people define it as a chemical imbalance, but it's so much more than that. It's related to your stressors surrounding you, the way that your brain is able to cope with those stressors, and so many other underlying issues like inflammation, genetic loading. And so we think of burnout, on the other hand, as something that is brought upon by chronic stress and a demanding work environment. But as we said before, certainly the symptoms between the two are very, very similar.
0: The other problem with using the word "burnout" to refer to clinician distress is sometimes it places the onus of the person being burnt-out on the individual rather than, like Varsha was saying, the demanding work environment. There are a lot of issues and a lot of changes to the work environment that have caused physicians and other clinicians to feel a lot of stress at work and feel really distressed. There could be a way to think about burnout in a different way or use a different word than burnout when you're referring to these overall systemic factors that have led to a lot of clinicians just feeling really stressed all the time at work.
1: And so the other thing that Andy mentioned was the idea of, you know, what are some of the underlying causes of clinician burnout? I think that's really important for us to go over. And so while working conditions to an individual hospital or program certainly directly affect how you know many clinicians are feeling regarding the hours, wages, so on and so forth, but the underlying problem is far beyond just one institution. Barriers to reduce burnout um, is essentially related to the fact that our medical system itself is broken. The big changes include just a decrease in reimbursements in general. The only way for health systems to maintain revenue at this point is to increase the number of patients each clinician sees per day. And certainly if you're increasing the number of patients, you can't spend as much time with each patient and you end up having much more paperwork and administrative duties. One thing that has definitely bothered me over the past few years and certainly has bothered many of my colleagues is the fact that the administrative burden uh, really takes away from your ability to spend time with your patients.
0: Varsha, why did we make this podcast?
1: That's a good question.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, let me answer this question that I posed for you, Varsha. <laughs> I think we've noticed that it's really hard for our colleagues and for other clinicians to really come forth and really talk about some of the issues that really give them a lot of stress at work. There's a lot of stigma behind admitting weakness. There's a lot of stigma behind talking about burnout. And there's a lot of stigma in terms of just mentioning that you need a little bit of help. Part of the goals of us talking about burnout and us bringing in a lot of these guests, is that we're going to try to decrease some of the stigma about talking about all this stuff.
1: And one of the ways in which we're able to do that right now is through interviewing people from around the country and keeping their names and identities anonymous. One of the reasons, as we had just mentioned, is because they're worried about the implications that could have on their career growth. For many people, I think it's it's always been a big concern to feel like Either the people in your direct program, your boss or even the hospital administration, the media department uh, will not like or allow you to speak freely. With the with the media regarding how how work has been how you've been coping especially during COVID 19, we've we've certainly seen some articles from residents or other physicians across the country who have been essentially feeling very afraid to speak out because of p- potential consequences that could have for them on their careers. And so I've certainly noticed that started since medical school actually for me personally I've had some experiences like that.
0: Yeah. And I think something that is worth mentioning about talking about a lot of these things is that sometimes it's really hard to talk about clinician burnout without hospitals feeling a little defensive about how they're running their hospitals. I think if hospitals hear about clinicians that talk about burnout, then they somehow feel like the clinicians are kind of putting the hospitals at fault of what's going on. And sometimes maybe that is the case, but a lot of the times having a discussion about really a lot of bigger factors beyond actual hospital-specific issues is really worth having a conversation.
1: And so something else that I think is really important is the concept of moral injury. So moral injury occurs when there is essentially an injury to our moral conscience through experiencing, perpetrating, or failing to prevent an act that transgresses our own moral beliefs so that's a pretty wordy way to say it but basically moral injury is describing how we feel how our conscience feels in our moral compass uh, when we fail to prevent something that we feel like goes against what we believe in so that feeling can often result in shame anger so for example it's when you know what care a patient needs but you're unable to provide it due to constraints beyond your own control And that brings up the idea of systems level issues that are beyond an individual clinician's control or even a hospital's control. So similar to moral injury is a concept of moral distress, which is defined as a distress that occurs when you know what to do ethically in a situation, but you're unable to do so. And that can result in a feeling of powerlessness.
0: And these two terms that Varsha mentioned, moral injury and moral distress, these are two terms that were really popularized last year. When it came to trying to redefine clinician burnout, when we're able to talk about moral injury, when we're able to talk about moral distress, then we're really placing a lot of the talk and a lot of the possible changes for burnout on a more systems wide level than on an individual level. And if we're really talking about existing burnout research, existing burnout treatment methods, most of the articles have really focused on individual level treatments, such as mindfulness, yoga, things like that, which maybe it could help some people. But when we're talking about such a big systems wide level issue like burnout is, then it really deserves having a systems wide discussion in terms of how we can change the system.
1: Annie brings up a really good point. What are some of the interventions that we do have to help combat burnout? And as you're saying, a lot of the times it might come in the form of mindfulness workshops, yoga, you know, wellness retreats. And you've certainly seen that in a lot of different fields aside from medicine. And certainly that is helpful um, and it can help with relaxation and building skills to handle stress. But ultimately, for example, if I have to see 30 patients in a day, I don't think doing yoga, mindfulness, will necessarily help me see those 30 patients. I think the underlying issue is the fact that you're overburdened and overworked. And even the most resilient of us all will still have difficulties in that setting.
0: Totally agree, Varsha.
1: Yeah. And back to the discussion on moral injury. You know in the healthcare field we all go into medicine knowing that we want to care for our patients no matter what we put the needs of our patients first and that's something we learned from day one but when you're bombarded with having to write notes and orders dealing with calling an insurance company for an hour to do a prior auth to approve a medication that we carefully thought through and prescribed your patient dealing with systems level inefficiency in the healthcare system through redundant paperwork and the litigious nature of the way that we document now Even your own personal challenges through all of this, like financial stressors, all of these things are certainly getting in the way of our moral belief, as I mentioned, of wanting to put our patients first. And so that results in the feelings of powerlessness, shame that you're not being a good enough clinician, guilt, anger at yourself and at the system as a whole from not being able to do what we know is right, being able to put the patient first while maintaining adequate self-care.
0: So where do we go from here, Varsha, when it comes to talking about burnout and treating burnout?
1: I mean, that's a, a really good question. Frankly, I think this needs to be a discussion that starts from the level of training medical students, nursing, just the way that we train the next generation of individuals, changing it from the way that we educate it educate them, uh, changing the curriculum, and then also opening up more spots in hospitals. Because certainly, I think the the biggest stressor here issue is that there's just not enough clinicians to serve the needs of our patients.
0: So you think that is a supply issue?
1: It's a supply issue, in my opinion. And then there's certainly other systems-wide issues, as we've mentioned, like the idea of over-documenting to basically cover yourself if anything happens when you care for someone. And so that's also another, you know, difficult part of medicine that we're dealing with that's quite unique, actually, to the U.S. compared to some other healthcare systems.
0: Yeah, and I wanted really to talk a little bit about burnout research as well. I think me and Varsha are both really interested in doing burnout research, and we're doing a little bit of it ourselves, too. But when it comes to future directions in treating burnout or addressing burnout, I think there's a lot of conversations and a lot of discussions that can be had towards really redefining the burnout terminology, and then after that, being able to adequately measure what this clinician burnout or what this clinician distress actually is, so that we can really get a better handle on what really works to treat burnout.
1: And so what is a link with burnout and and talking about COVID? I was looking to see whether there's any interventions that have been essentially set forth thus far to help clinicians during COVID. There's really very limited studies on this, but I did find one article in China that was very interesting. One of the interventions that they had done in one of their hospitals in China was basically addressing basic human needs like food, provision of a rest area, uh, leisure activities, periodic visits to the resting area with a counselor, all of which has actually led to an increase in satisfaction among the healthcare workers in that particular hospital. And another key aspect was that the interventions themselves were highly adaptable and malleable. And so, you know, even these particular interventions I just mentioned, it sounds like that was a work in progress. They had to essentially talk to people and think, you know, what what do these healthcare workers want and need right now? And what would be the most helpful thing that we can do? And I definitely think this goes beyond just engaging in self care. I mean, everyone wants to do those things. But do you have the time? Do you have the resources and and the ability to be able to address that?
0: And I think this is this is the other thing when it comes to trying to come up with burnout treatments. Varsha's right. A lot of clinicians out there don't really have the time or aren't willing to do a lot of these things. And when it comes to designing future interventions, we really need to be able to assess what clinicians are willing to do and what they're actually interested in doing. I think there are probably some clinicians that are super into doing yoga, but then there are probably some that aren't. You know, on the other hand, I think there are some people that are really into talking to a therapist. And then maybe there are others that that maybe would rather just have that time to get a little bit of extra sleep. So this is also something that I think when it comes to designing interventions for burnout, they're going to really have to try to figure out what clinicians are interested in doing.
1: And moreover, Andy brings up a good point that each of us are very different in what helps us to de-stress and become more and more resilient. It's not an approach that should be one size fits all.
0: And Varsha, we got a lot of work ahead of ourselves because when it just comes to even seeking self-care and seeking mental health treatment, it's really hard for people to actually seek it out. So there was a psychiatrist who really deals with impaired physicians, and he was really saying that when it comes to marketing or even presenting a lot of these mental health resources to doctors, when you say that... They want to see a life coach. They're actually willing to go see them. But then when you present it as a, you want to see a psychologist or mental health counselor, they're actually less willing to see it. Maybe a lot of this has to do with just the underlying stigma with seeking mental health.
1: That's really interesting that that's been what this physician has observed. I think it, it certainly um, brings up that point that we were making earlier. It's, it feels more comfortable to say you're feeling burnt out than you are feeling depressed. And so it's like the idea of going to a life coach because you're feeling burnt out versus going to a psychiatrist because you're very depressed.
0: Yeah, yeah. In my opinion, if we're able to actually get clinicians that are distressed, the help that they need, I don't really care what you call it. I don't really care if you call it burnout. I don't really care if you call it clinician distress. I don't care if you call it depression. I don't care if you call it moral injury. I I really don't. (laughs) But but the problem is... Because we have all these terms that are kind of thrown around, we have a lot of stigma underneath a lot of it all, and then the end result, which is borne out in the literature and also with anecdotal evidence, clinicians just don't really seek out any sort of help. So we really need to try to figure out a way to to change this, and I think one of the ways is destigmatizing it with our podcast and also just finding a way to talk about this in a way where it's just not weird to, to talk about it in general.
1: Yeah, in a way that people don't get penalized in some kind of a fashion for being open and honest about the way that they're feeling.
0: Yeah, and and I do want to say that there is a reason why people aren't willing to come forward because they're scared that they may be penalized in a way their licensure can be affected. And it's a real concern in a lot of cases. But I think in the end, we need to find a way where we can get these clinicians the help that they need.
1: I think, Andy, we've talked everyone's ear off enough, so I wanted to wrap up. Uh, So some of the main points that we covered is just a colloquial definition of burnout, what that means, whether or not it's uh, similar to depression or different, um, and then talking a little bit more about the stigma that clinicians face uh, regarding the repercussions of being honest about the way that they're feeling and whether or not. Clinicians are essentially silenced from being able to do that. Um, And lastly, we talked a little bit more in detail about what are some of the factors that increase burnout and the systems-wide issues that we're facing.
0: Yeah, and I do want to say that just because we can't really assess what burnout is on a research level, it doesn't mean that what clinicians are feeling when they're feeling distressed and stress at work isn't real. It is a real thing. This is legitimate. The problem is we really need to have a common language so we can talk about it without people feeling like it doesn't exist.
1: And so listeners, thank you very much. We love doing this podcast and we've been having a lot of fun with it. Um, Stay tuned for our next episode. We want to hear from you as well, so if you'd like to reach out, feel free to email us at shrinkingburnout at gmail.com.
0: And listeners for the next episode, we have a very special guest. We're gonna have a psychiatry resident who's in his first year and he's had experience working both on the medical floors and also on the inpatient psychiatric settings. So we're going to be able to get an interesting perspective when we talk to him. Take care guys. Shrinking Burnout is a podcast about furthering the discussion of clinician burnout and recognizing the resilience and hard work that many clinicians regularly demonstrate. Nothing we say on this show should be taken as medical or psychiatric advice. All of the opinions expressed on this podcast are solely our own and do not reflect
1: those of our employer.